Rethinking labor policies to advance women's employment in 2020. The NIDS CRAM survey showed that the net job losses between Feb and April were higher for women than for men. Women accounted for two-thirds of the total net job losses. Women are also more likely than men to live in households that reported running out of money for food in April 2020, just a year ago. A retrospective look shows that between 2016 and 2020, five years, women's unemployment averaged 34.3% against that of men, 31 less, or rather more unemployment in women. With this widening gap, it is clear that current employment initiatives do not take into account the unique conditions of women in the country as we conclude International Women's Month. There needs to be a change in approach through efforts that focus on challenges specific to women in general and young women in particular. Mr. Victor Kangale, Marketing Manager at Lulaway Holdings, is here to tell us more about that. Good evening, Victor. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for that great introduction and uh, good evening to you and your listeners. So clearly we are talking about systemic challenges in the country, systemic challenges particularly as they do affect women in the country that for the best part, certainly in the last five years of the survey's life, it has been shown they are not being attended to and as a result we shouldn't expect anything different from the kinds of statistics I've just read out. No, and you're actually very, very true in that regard. I mean, it, there has been a historical showing that um, there's been serious gender disparities in the in the world of work. And, I mean, a lot of us organizations are trying to help mitigate that. But, I mean, it is a slow process that needs to be sped up. Why is a country that is so in need of some inspiration probably not taking this, not just as an opportunity to address an inherent wrong in the system, but to try and change the fortunes of the country, not just for women, but for many women-headed households in the country. We do know that many households in this country are headed by women, in some instances headed by the girl child. We know that our, legislate, our legislation, for the most part, is progressive. It really does turn on its implementation and just generally the, the societal conscientization towards gearing resources and even their private exchanges towards the betterment of women. Why are we not doing that? Because I don't think this conversation is a novel conversation among South Africans, generally speaking. No, it's not new. And I'm telling you right now that it's still going to continue at least 10 to 15 years into the future if we do not do something about it right now. I mean, uh, I think what we're looking at right now is a historical issue between, um, I think, the whole men in work and women in work. And I mean, that kind of a historical full process it's definitely what needs to be looked at first. Um, no matter how we're looking at it, there are a lot of government um, initiatives, institutions, maybe even programs geared towards assisting, um, you know, uh, female-led companies, companies with more women in it. Those, those different initiatives are actually helping. But as I said, we need to ramp those up a lot more. We need to add more to that. We need to get more voices from the uh, private uh, you know, private private sector for them to start saying, okay, we are going to start focusing on more either employing women or maybe upskilling women so that they can be more employable. I mean, I'm not saying that women are not at the same level as men are, but I mean, there's a lot of gender disparity that we need to start mitigating. And if these are the first steps we need to take, then definitely we should be. And therefore, we're directing the proper resources to proper organizations to obviously uplift the women in the workplace. Can we mention the fact that rural women in particular 
and women who are in the lowest scale of the ladder are the backbone of the South African society and economy. For instance, you look around any spaces of informal trading. For the most part, it is women. Many South African households in any sort of social economic space, there are women there. The super rich rely on women to look after their kids, their households, everything, to the very South African middle class, to the very South African lower class. We look at the fact that many businesses, they are carried, frontline workers, they are carried. Women are in these spaces where there is great need. Unfortunately, in those spaces, they are not given opportunity to really be center and the focus of leading such organizations. Why is that? The first big thing, as I said, it is the whole process behind what the woman represents in the workplace. I mean, let's be honest, there are older generations who are leading big organizations that can actually influence this change at a higher rate. And I mean, I'm not saying that the full process is wrong, but the full process is there. It is just what is going through your own brain to say that um, perhaps maybe this gentleman is more suited for the job than this, uh, this lady that, that has uh, applied for the same uh, position. The full process is what needs to change. That is exactly the key part. And then on top of that, yes, you are correct in terms of saying that women are the backbone in, of the entire African society. I mean, they are there in terms of retail industry. They are there in terms of, just like you rightfully said, the frontline workers. My mother is one of them. So, I mean, when you look at that, you start thinking to yourself, if you have such powerful individuals in such areas who are actually leading that, why is there such disparity? I, we all do believe that um, it's the fourth person that needs first change. Then we need to start um, creating and implementing more um, uh, of these kinds of programs in the private sector. Because let's be honest, the private sector is... The, the highest driver of employment in South Africa, and then the, uh, the public sector comes in second. But what we need to look at is, why isn't the private sector not adopting a change in full process in terms of hiring females, in terms of upskilling, or maybe in terms of just giving them those kinds of opportunities and resources at, uh, to get, either get hired, or maybe even at the SME level? Because those are areas that are also high in terms of driving employment in South Africa. Are we not part of the stereotype? Are we not part of the challenge? Are we not part of the diminishing of at least the voice of women? Why are two men having this conversation? <laughs> I really do believe, I really wanted to find someone else to talk on this point, but I do feel that maybe sometimes when, when two men come into a, 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 a conversation about something that involves women, that obviously has been led by men a lot, is that Perhaps we are the first people to now say that you are wrong, and then we point at each other, and then a woman and can tell us where we should actually assist them in terms of the opportunities they need, the resources they need, as well as how to develop themselves and go into the future. Can I then challenge you to ask the listeners who are listening, particularly women listeners, to call and contribute to this conversation? Please take the opportunity to look for women to engage this topic. Well, of course, we welcome all kinds of engagement. I'd really like to have a woman call us, talk to me about um, the whole gender disparity in the workplace, what we should do, what's doing in terms of uplifting the women in the workplace, as well as maybe what uh, processes we need to implement moving into the future. But let me just venture an opinion insofar as it relates to sort of starting the conversation going. I was having a conversation with a colleague earlier on who was like, a lot of, she was referring to her organization in particular, that it is one largely white, largely Afrikaans, because that's the sort of 
history of the organization in the healthcare space, saying that a lot of the people who are in management there, for the majority of the time, do not relate with the majority of the employees. Many of them are African. Many of them do not live within the catchment area of where the business itself operates. So you find the establishment has a particular culture and the workforce has a completely different culture, completely different background. And these two, in many respects, become irreconcilable in terms of what the expectations are, what the culture is like, Um, a simple thing as noise. You and I would probably be in the same room, and it might sound like 10 people in another room if if it was thought to be white people behind the door. I'm making an example. (laughs) But culture clashes are inherent in organizations that are not representative of the organization. And when such culture clashes, one is obviously going to dominate the other one. It's just a question of which one occupies the resource or has the final word. Now, why is that a challenge in the workplace? I'm saying this because I want to get more listeners in. But the lady who I was talking to went on to say that, Simple things like coming late to work three times is then a call for corrective counseling. Whereas we know there are many challenges that would occasion for one to come late. Taxis on strike, if that is the nature of the organization that has a particular staff force in that particular designation. They, of course, would come late because, I mean, taxis are super unpredictable. If you have kids and you're a single parent, you cannot guarantee what time you will leave the house. Sometimes you can put in all the guarantees and your helper doesn't arrive. Belly up is your day. So how then do we get organizations to be real with their circumstances that are not going to change simply because there's a policy in place that's going to try and correctively behave, that's going to try and engage a corrective behavior? Exactly. And that also ties in with what we were talking about earlier. Uh, women-held-headed uh, women uh, households, right? And also maybe some of those headed by the girl child. That girl child, unfortunately, has to take a step back in terms of a career development, in terms of how, uh, raising the Absolutely, yes. siblings. And, I mean, that is already, um, uh, I mean, stopping her from the, the learning process, that, that experience journey that a lot of unemployed youth need to go through. And, I mean, those kinds of conversations, also touch into this whole fourth industrial revolution we, we, we've been talking about for years now. And unfortunately, the, it took the whole pandemic to understand that perhaps maybe we should be moving a lot of this to work from home. Perhaps maybe we should actually be talking about allowing some of them some time for, for travel or, or maybe allowing them for some time for, for family, um, you know, family commitments. I mean, the whole lockdown situation has forced a lot of parents to do homeschooling, has forced some parents to ask the organization to work from home because they just don't have anybody to look after their children. So, I mean, those kinds of things have actually added to the call for organizations to start changing. And you are right completely by saying, however the company's, uh, I guess, ethos is, or maybe environment is, it's dependent on the person who holds the actual resources of the organization, not necessarily the leaders. Because the leaders could be at the top screaming for change, screaming for a sweeping resolution of the the organization's thought process, but the individuals that are holding the actual resources of the company are the ones that need to change their thought process for the organization's comp- um, ethos or maybe environment to change with it. So with that being said, I'm also putting this to that in terms of maybe the hiring process is also part of that. Why are we not looking or um, discriminatingly looking at men over women for certain positions? And why are I want to ask you to stop there for a moment there, Victor. We do have a lady who's calling. Good evening to you, Anonymous. Thank you so much for calling. 
evening to you, and you're most welcome, and your guest is most welcome as well. Uh, I want to say, you know, I've been in employment for more than 30 years with different fields and different walks of life and, and different uh, proprietors and directors that I had to uh, work under. But I can assure you that women with discrimination so badly in those days, not so bad now, a little bit maybe better now than then, so badly discriminated. Women did the same job as men, but earned quarter the salary. Women were put in the B group of the pension fund and of the A, A group. I was put in the B group. With to, a top jobs like supervising is a top job. You have to worry about 300 people, looking after 300 people, teaching 300 people, but you get the same, you get the do, salary of a doormat. You know, people rub their feet all over you, and you know, women were treated terribly bad in those days. You know, working for 12 years in one company, Songhezo, I only received a 2,000 rand pension fund after, after, after 12 years. That's how badly women were treated, and women didn't have a voice. If you had a voice, you would see the front door or the back door, whichever, whichever door you wanted to take. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Much appreciated, the Anonymous. Very quickly, gentlemen, Zestron in Bloemfontein and Colin in Cape Town. 2057, we have two and a half minutes. Go for it, Zestron. Go for it, Colin. Uh, good afternoon, Sangezo. How are you? I'm also good evening. Thank uh, you. I just want to know, like, at what point, like, okay, we have a situation right now where we have more women graduate. Uh, we have more women scholarships, I guess. And then we have uh, all sorts of women organizations more than men, I'd say far much, I'd say far much more than men. And I think that, um, you see, when, whenever we're, talk, we're talking about women empowerment and the employment of, of women, for example, and I think that a lot of times we approach this thing in, in a wrong way. Like, for example, hello? Go for it. Yeah. Like, for example, there were studies that were done in Scandinavian countries. I don't know whether you know about them. If you tell me the study, I might know. Go for it. What's the study? When was it commissioned? By who? What does it say? Um, there were studies that were done in Scandinavian countries that showed that it was a shock to everybody. It showed that um, the more egalitarian a country is, but like the more egalitarian policies a country has, the bigger the bigger the gap. Like in in terms of gender pay, in terms of uh, employment. So, if you make policies of a country more egalitarian, it turns out that it does the opposite of what people anticipate. So. It's an example of and that's I the challenge. That I'm going to have to cut you there because we are running out of time. That's the challenge. Egalitarian societies work on a false premise that everybody is equal, that everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. History for all its time has shown us that no two people start off on the same starting line. And to the extent that they might do, there are many factors preventing one person from ever crossing the line or crossing the line before a certain time. So take South Africa, for example. It cannot be said that, in fact, 
the quotation of Lyndon B. Johnson said, you cannot take somebody who has been in chains for however long, take him to the starting block to run against somebody who is not in chains, say, here we are, you are now fit to race, go, and expect that person to do well. And I think that is what the problem is insofar as it relates to egalitarian societies stroke policies. It assumes things. It assumes things on the wrong and false premise. The fact that you would say women have got a supremacy in relation to graduates and organizations and bursaries and all of those things, if it should tell you anything, it should tell you that that's exactly how concentrated the real power is insofar as it relates to the pro-man or pro-men interest. It's not a question of numbers. It's a question of power and influence in the right spaces for the right reasons that would invariably skew as it has for the longest time in this country the patterns towards whiteness towards males and everything that we are now in the course of this discussion trying to engage and see what the challenges are 2101 i thought i should engage that so so thank you for the indulgence grecos it is time for news on the viewpoint we continue the conversation as we look to wrap up the matter of rethinking labor policies to advance women's employment mr victor kangade who is a marketing manager at Lulaway holdings is on the line to tell us some of these policies that need to change having listened to the thoughts of our two callers anonymous and zestron before her victor uh, yes, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, just to add to what um, the, 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 um, our anonymous caller was busy talking about earlier, when she was busy talking about how this, how much disparity she saw in terms of her income in different organisations. I mean, she has a massive um, long run of history in that organisation. Twelve years is something not to be scoffed at, but she still got, um, you know, she left without even some sort of a gold hashtag or a thank you for it. And that is something that we've been seeing for a long time. And I mean, that also happens in, in big blue chip organizations. Someone who's been running a massive, um, maybe clientele, maybe a long, a big division, and they still get um, discriminated against in the workplace. And as, as um, the gentleman second, who was the second caller was really saying that, is there not an issue in terms of the disparity? Why is there so many uh, lady graduates, ladies who, who are given bursary opportunities, maybe even funding opportunities, but they, they still aren't getting employed. And that is a simple case of why isn't the poor person in the private sector changed? I mean, an organization such as ours is Lulaway. What we do is we assist any company getting stipends for their, for their organization. And if an organization gives us a mandate to say, we need to employ certain kind of people, then that's a mandate that an organization has to work with. However, that is what I'm saying. An organization is the one that gives a mandate for hiring. Who is the one hiring and why are we hiring in this fashion? Why can't we hire someone, a lady in this position? And if you feel that she isn't right up to scratch, why can't we give her some, maybe an extra month or so for her to upskill herself, for her to be able to be employable? Or perhaps even place her in an SME for her to get that actual experience she needs and maybe employ her further down the line. So those are, those are just, um, you know, off the top of my head opportunities we can create as a private sector. But what we need also is assistance of government from there to assist us in terms of how do we get the unemployed uh, uh, female workforce from the rural areas back into areas where we can actually get them employed, maybe into areas where they can get upskilled, maybe into areas where they can get the proper resources to start a small business and upskill their own community. 
Yeah, some good thoughts there, Mr. Victor Kangari. Thank you so much. Marketing Manager at Lulaway Holdings, PTYLTD. That was the conversation in terms of rethinking labor policies to advance women's employment in the South African labor force. We know what COVID has done. Every two of the three jobs that have been lost have been that and on the account of women. Something clearly wrong with our society and only society. Me and you can correct it now. It was due yesterday, of course. 2109.